Today, we talk about three big dominoes that contribute to digestive dysfunction and how digestive dysfunction doesn't always just manifest with digestive issues. So if you are dealing with any types of symptoms and struggling or just want to understand better how to make your body more resilient and handle more things in this life, take a listen today and make sure you're taking action. You hear all the bull about diet and exercise. Carbs are evil. Do more cardio. Never eat bread or cookies again. Just do a juice cleanse. We get it. We fell for all of the BS too. It's time to go right to the source with the truth about how to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. I am Liz. And I'm Becca. We are your nutrition educators and this is The Food Code. Happy Monday. Yes, yes, yes. We are almost to December. It is the Monday after Thanksgiving. I was actually just thinking about how I need to start putting together a Christmas list and need to figure out what I'm getting my children for Christmas. So my husband's uh, mother is in Russia right now. And Marcus is so funny. He was telling his teacher yesterday about how grandma is on a trip on the airplane to get him Thomas a train set. He doesn't understand, obviously, you know, where she yeah. is. But uh, yeah, she had to go there for um, some things. And that was one of the things that we requested is that maybe she bring home a little train set. Yeah, so that would be so nice. We actually, we were joking. Um, we were on a group text. Nick's parents texted like myself, Allie, Nick, and Allie's husband and was like, hey, we were thinking maybe we could get you guys a solo stove for Christmas, which is like a really nice outdoor fireplace. Mm-hmm. Um And I go, all I want for Christmas are air purifiers for every room in our house and water filters. (laughs) So I actually just saw that um, they're on sale. I know they're on a huge sale and I really want to get them. But I also I'm like, I really shouldn't spend this money right now. Um, But then we were joking on the text message how I was crunchy. Like crunchy is like a a term for like hippie ish kind of like. Oh, God. um, like the all natural mom type thing. Um, and I was like, I don't care. You can claim me to be crazy. I want air filters in our house. I want, you know, I think we need a better humidifier to be honest. Um, our house is hard. Our house is hard because it's, it's very large in terms of square footage. Um, and the heater is on one end of the house. So like Carson's room is freezing in the summertime and really hot in the winter. I'm sorry, freezing in the wintertime, really hot in the summertime. Um, And our room is the opposite. And like, it's just, it's not well designed in that sense. So we have to do a lot of extra things to kind of manage that. Um, So I do want to get air purifiers though for at least the bedrooms and my office. And they do have a really good sale. And I think it'd be like a hundred dollars a month in terms of like payment plan. The air doctor, the air doctor, they have one where it's like, you can buy a large one, a medium one and a small one and get another small one free, um, which is a huge deal. And so, and you can finance them. And so I'm kind of thinking about doing that Yeah, and maybe just not telling Nick until they show up at our house. I mean, we got to share this story about what was it your birth? It was your birthday, right? Or was it Nick's birthday? Was it Nick's birthday that you got him? So if you guys have not listened to the food code for a while, obviously (laughs) Becca loves her husband very much, but he loves to clean and keep things very, very clean. Like we have a clean home, but Nick is like next level. Also, every time that I use my paper towels, I think about Nick yelling at you about using so many paper towels because I use a lot of paper towels. them all over the kitchen. <laughs> I feel like I have PTSD and I'm not even in this relationship. <laughs> I 
have a really big problem that when I wash my hands or wash the dishes, instead of using like our dish towel to dry my hands afterwards, I use paper towels and then I just leave them on the counter sometimes and like go do other things. And I, there's been multiple times where Nick was like, Becca, there are four different paper towels in four different parts of the kitchen right now. Do you need to keep using this many paper towels? And so, I mean, like, I love my husband. I understand I am probably difficult for him to live with at points, vice versa. Okay. And so anyways, it was Father's Day. It was Father's Day. I ordered Stanley Steamer to come to our house Mm -hmm. because we have white carpets everywhere upstairs. They get very dirty. Mm -hmm. We have small children. Like, it's just, it is what it is. Um, And even if you take off your shoes upstairs, you can act like the oils on your feet can actually cause. And so like, there's a bunch of reasons that we have dirty carpets. Um, his reason is that I don't vacuum them enough or we don't vacuum them enough, but either way. So I ordered Stanley Steamer, which was like $800 to come and do all of the bedrooms, my office, the hallways and everything. And then literally like the next day, Amazon delivers this like carpet cleaning vacuum. And I was like, did you buy this? And he was like, yeah, well, I figured like we, it would be good to have one so that we can clean our carpets. So I was like, I just ordered Stanley Steamer and it was trying to be a surprise. And then didn't he negotiate that you guys should keep both? We kept both. Yeah. Yes. She keep both. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's why I love having wood floors all throughout our house. Um, because carpets, yeah. Growing up in the home that I did was tri-level, very much like this house is mm-hmm. tri-level. And it's carpets is just too much. And you're right. They do get dirty whether you take your shoes off or exactly. not. Exactly. Exactly. It's just, so. and, and like, yes, vacuuming them more often can allow for those things to like not accumulate as much obviously but your air purifier would also keep a lot of that out yes and so i'm literally opening an email right now of the black friday deal that they have going on and it may happen before the end of so today. here's my i mean i don't ever ask for permission you yes know. for forgiveness yes for forgiveness <laughs> um and it's a beneficial gift for the family it is this can be, and here's the thing. I don't like Christmas like present. I mean, I, yes, everyone loves presents. Let's be honest. But like, I could care less, honestly, if you buy me a bunch of clothes or like whatever. Um, and my husband will accept this. He is not a good gift giver. He never has been. It's not a strong suit of his. I love him regardless. He would rather me buy something for myself, wrap it for myself and put it under the tree addressed to myself. That is how my husband functions. Perfect. I love him. It's fine. We joked this weekend talking to the groom that we were at the wedding of. And I was like, Nick literally told me about our wedding. He wouldn't care if the entire day was a surprise to him. Like he didn't really even care about planning the wedding. Like. No. It's just it's it's how he is, and that's fine. Most grooms don't. Like, yeah, let's be honest. I, feel I like know. Most grooms don't. But uh, either way, like you know, I'd rather do this and buy these things, um, and then just like not get a lot for myself for Christmas. Yeah, I mean, I say do it. So I'm a bad influence at the same time, but um, not really because it's. I think it could be very helpful, especially because literally both of our kids are constantly sick because they're in daycare. Mm-hmm. There's so many germs. This can be a benefit to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you should do it. You should get what you want for Christmas. <laughs> Good thing my husband doesn't listen to our podcast. <laughs> Blame it on Liz. Anybody who uh, <laughs> speaks to Nick, if Becca gets these in her house, no, it's fine. Um, uh. All right. So we are talking today about things that contribute to gut issues. We have a lot of people that ask us, like, how could I end up with H. pylori? How could I end up with high candida? How could I end up with leaky gut? How could I end up, you know, with all of the things that uh, we test for and look at? And so we want to talk about first the three big dominoes that lead to gut issues, or I should say here, contribute to digestive dysfunction. And we're also going to talk about how 
you know, active individuals, healthy individuals end up in these situations. Uh, if you listen to the podcast that we did with uh, Deidre a few weeks ago, uh, we talked a lot about gut health and fertility. And so I'll just share very briefly here. Um, and Becca can share a little bit about, you know, her GI map, but we're very healthy. We had just uh, finished 75 hard or mm-hmm. we were in the middle of 75 hard when we did the GI maps on ourselves. And you know, they didn't come back super pretty. We're both very active. You train more intensely than Mm -hmm. I do. And I have for a long, long time. Right. Uh, We run a business. We have little kids and, you know, our our lives are not immune to stress. Mm -mm. We are also human beings and we are not immune to the fact that there are some processed foods that still come in, even though we do I do. I try to do my due diligence to eat as many one ingredient foods, wide variety, diverse, grass fed meats, all of these things. Like we've talked about this on this podcast. It is hard in today's society to be extremely healthy unless you live in a bubble and you don't like your house to smell good and you smell like a hippie, which you you guys take that for a grain of salt. But like, I'm going to be honest, like as a female who trains a lot, I don't personally love the non-toxic deodorants. Like Mm -hmm. I still am using them mostly, but now that I'm back in the gym, I'm sorry, but my dove just does it for me for those workouts. I got to wear it for that hour because I am not trying to, you know, you're not trying to affect others. Right. Yeah. Be smelling myself. Cause like, for sure. I have to apply it multiple times a day. I do. I have to apply the, um, I don't know. The native, the native multiple times a day. Yeah. So, I mean, I use that outside of that, but what I'm getting at here is, you know, even healthy individuals are susceptible to, you know, immune dysfunction. And that ultimately leads to digestive dysfunction, vice versa. They are very um, Mm -hmm. interconnected here. So the three big dominoes, number one, stress. Why? (laughs) You guys might be like, well, how can my stress be impacting my digestion? Or you might be sitting there saying, hey, Liz, I don't have bloating, gas, heartburn, acid reflux, diarrhea, constipation, alternating diarrhea, constipation. Like I don't have any of these issues. I feel like my digestion is pretty quiet day to day. That's awesome. That also doesn't mean that there are not other things going on under the hood. And so we're going to talk about how does this impact, you know, your immune system and in turn relate to hormonal imbalances illnesses, skin disorders, mood disorders, and so forth. So number one is stress shunts blood flow from your digestive system. Okay. Literally when you are constantly in this state of, you know, sympathetic, chronically feeling stress, the body is chronically feeling stress. Your body is not worried about your digestive system, right? And so therefore it slows down your motility in the stomach and your small intestine. Okay. So this is where, you know, we do see for people who are, again, going back to that person who might be very healthy, uh, they don't feel like they have a lot of symptoms, but they're highly stressed. Maybe they're an entrepreneur or maybe they're a working mom or a stay at home mom with multiple, you know, kids or things going on in their life that are stressing them out and they train hard and they're trying to keep a good physique. So they're not eating enough. Maybe they're just busy. I, Beck and I both fall prey to this. We preach eating enough. We do our best to do it. But some days we are back-to-back meetings doing the things that we do. And at the end of the day, we're probably under where we should be. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing here is managing stress. So if somebody is very, very healthy, they're stressed, they're not eating enough, they're training intensely or just very active in general, that is a big contributor to digestive dysfunction. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are like, well, I don't feel stressed. And it's it's not that like you have a ton of emotional and mental trauma or anything like that. I by no means feel like I'm stressed. You know, I, I realize that there's stress present, but I don't feel like so overwhelmed all the time and I'm I'm anxious and I, you know, I'm depressed. Like I don't I don't notice that. 
those are the people, honestly, that I think have the worst stress that affects their body. And then you also have to think about the stress that accumulates, unfortunately, from just what we're exposed to on a day-to-day basis. You know, we're exposed to lots of different forms of toxins and chemicals and things that our body it's a burden. Um, and typically what we see, especially on the GI map are people that are very type a people that are very, um, you know, they tend to not acknowledge a lot of things that they feel. Um, they also have the most, uh, problems in terms of like their liver markers because their liver ends up accumulating in terms of a lot of the stress that they feel and put on their body because exercise and all of those things. Like I can promise you everyone that has been a highly competitive athlete or trained with a lot of intensity for a period of time probably has a very depleted immune system. And we, I saw that with my GI map, my immune system, every athlete that I've looked at in terms of a GI map, I've seen that with, um, and because high intensity exercise spikes your immune system, but then it also take it taxes it a lot. And so you have to understand that it's not necessarily just like mental, emotional trauma type stress. More often than not, it's not. It's it's usually chemical or physical, um, like from undereating or overtraining. So the, speaking of overtraining, the opposite, a sedentary lifestyle is also damaging. So again, what would that have to do with gut health? Well, research has found that being sedentary is linked to many health issues. Shocker. Um, it also contributes to GI stress because it slows digestion. M- walking and movement are very good for motility. So like sometimes if people uh, you know, are constipated or are dealing with that, we encourage going for more like walks after meals and so forth because it also helps to improve blood flow to those areas and it also helps improve blood sugar. Both of those things play a role in digestion. So according to studies published in the Gut Journal, physical activity may reduce the risk of diverticulitis, gastric issues, and inflammatory bowel disease, although this cannot be substantiated firmly. I have seen it in clinical experience. Like Liz has seen this in clinical experience. And that's the one challenging thing that I really struggle with sometimes with like research. We look at research. We use research. We very much value research. You cannot sometimes put what you see into cl- in clinical experience into research. It's just research articles, research studies are very particular. They're very um, controlled. And so you also have to consider like, what do you actually see happening with people? When people start moving more, they feel better. They have better energy, their digestion's better. So Going back to this, diverticular disease and constipation are also linked with the amount of physical activity. Sitting all day may cause your abdomen to compress, that, and that can slow down digestion and may also lead to bowel functions. Think about just anatomically. When you are sitting all day, you are probably not sitting up super, super straight. You are compressing organs, and you are causing that motility function to be blunted. We were not meant to sit all day as humans. I can promise you that has contributed to the crap digestion that we have as a society. Mm-hmm. Well, that and then standard American diet, yes. right? Um, which is the third big domino here. You you might say, you know what? I do a really good job of meal prepping and mm-hmm. I cook a lot of my foods at home. And that's fantastic. Beck and I both do these things. As I mentioned before, we're not immune to sometimes we do have more processed foods. Like, you know, if I'm using deli turkey meat or I'm using protein bars or things like that, they're still processed, mm-hmm. right? In some way, they're not that one ingredient whole food that I try to get in most of the time. And then inside of these things, there's additives, there's chemicals, there's fortification. If you're somebody who eats cereal, for example, a lot of athletes do this in terms of just getting their carbon taken. And that's totally fine. But at the end of the day, these things are not, they're synthetic. They're not natural. And so your body doesn't recognize them as 
the same as one ingredient whole foods with actually natural, naturally occurring vitamins and minerals. Then we think about all of the agricultural changes that have happened over the course of the years, right? The way that we farm um, and the way that we grow our food and our crops, like the, the ground doesn't even have the mineral content that it previously did. And so then we're lacking, you know, minerals because the foods that we're consuming, even if it's that spinach or that kale or those one ingredient foods are not as mineral rich as they used to be. Right. And so it's kind of this cascade effect, but then you add in convenience things, right? <laughs> the drive through fried foods, man, I love some cheese curds. Okay. Ugh. I'm not going to say that I, I don't enjoy these things from time to time, but we have all of these industrialized hydrogenated oils that are pro-inflammatory. Okay. And we're going to talk about inflammation here in a minute. And so between processed foods, sugar, which is highly addictive, especially for people who have a lot of bacterial overgrowths, right? All of these chemicals and preservatives that we're exposed to because of the convenience that a lot of people rely on, um, mm -hmm. you know, even if it's, let's say, you know, factor meals or some of these uh, evolved meals, right? Some of those frozen meals, even primal kitchen, guys, it's still a little bit more processed. Is it better than other alternatives? Absolutely. But what do all of these still have in common? It's a standard American diet. It drives inflammation. Okay. And so between these three dominoes, they are problematic because they move the gut and the immune system towards a more inflammatory state. Okay. And this increases the permeability in the gut. So you might've seen, you know, if you look this up online or you've seen on social media, something called leaky gut, this is the tight junctions in your gut that have become permeable, right? They're leaky. And so this is allowing things from your digestive tract in your terrain to get out into the bloodstream. And this is where we see systemic inflammation and a lot of, uh, this is the root cause to a lot of diseases and a lot of symptoms. And mm -hmm. so you know, when somebody has this leaky gut and that gut lining is damaged, it cannot function optimally the way that it was designed to, okay? So your gut is designed to really be a barrier, right? We're exposed to pathogens, parasites, bacteria, viruses all day long, every day. Whether you have a pet, you just drive in your car, you eat fresh fruits and vegetables, like you're exposed to these things all day. Um, and so your, your gut is designed to kill these things off that basically don't serve the body, right? And to detoxify them, right? This is why God designed us to have several detoxification organs, but also even think about like your skin is your barrier, your eyes is your barrier, your um, eyebrows, your eyelashes, your nose hairs, your ear hairs, all these things, right? These are all barriers. And so it, it's meant to keep these things out of the bloodstream. But when these smaller holes become larger and essentially allow those harmful substances from the gut to get into the bloodstream, like bad bacteria, gluten, large particles of food, undigested, uh, you know, pieces of food that enter your bloodstream, this can cause, you know, considerable damage to our health. And so, you know, then we look at how this impacts our immune system. I think all of these things impact our immune system because it also lets, um, leaky gut lets lipopolysaccharides, uh, which are impor important outer membrane components of a gram negative bacteria into the bloodstream. And this can cause an immune activation response. Okay, and it's problematic because these lipopolysaccharides can produce fever via activation of the immunological response involving factors in the blood um, that initiate the production of prostaglandins and send signals to the brain to increase body temperature. That's one thing. Then we look at uh, you know all of the other mediators. So prostaglandin is a type of mediator that's released by the immune system. So we look at this in terms of histamines and cytokines and mast cell activation. Go back and listen to the podcast uh, that we did on 
on mast cell activation and on hidden sources of food sensitivity and uh, neurological inflammation. Um, because all of these things stem back to leaky gut, right? If your gut is permeable and these things are getting into the bloodstream, this is creating an immune response. And when we have an overactive immune system, we see a lot of health issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people, we talk about inflammation so much and inflammation is a very like, you know, buzzword per se. And this is where a lot of times we see people when they reduce foods or things that are causing massive amounts of inflammation in the body and they physically look so different, but their weight's not technically different. What we need to understand is that when you reduce these things, most people in general are dehydrated. Even if you drink water, because your cells are basically not healthy, like they don't store electrolytes properly. They don't make energy properly. And so when you do things that cause this inflammation to kind of be reduced and you can flush out a lot of things and kind of almost like reset almost the cells and their function, what also happens is that you actually take up more water into your cells. So you become more hydrated. So now you have like intracellular hydration improving, whereas you're dropping off a lot of toxins and, you know, different types of things within the cells that are unhealthy. So you don't see a lot of change in weight. And that is something that I think a lot of people struggle with when they're dealing with inflammation is like, that's why we always tell people to take pictures too, mm -hmm. when you're dealing with something that you might reduce inflammation, because I've seen it myself. Like I actually have a client this week that we've been doing something to kind of really reduce inflammation. Her pictures of over the course of just a week are drastic. Her weight hasn't changed. Yeah. It's a perfect example of this. Like she feels better. She said, the only other time I've ever felt like this is when I've literally fasted for like entire days. I'm actually eating and this is happening. And so like when you drop off this inflammation, you need to understand too, it might not necessarily mean your weight's going to drastically change yet, but you're going to look physically different for a lot of people because chronic inflammation leads to other problems with those cells and their function like insulin resistance, poor hormone balance, poor biofeedback within the body. So we've talked about this too on um, hidden food sensitivities. We've talked about it on an episode before. When you consume foods that your body sees as a threat, it activates the immune system. These foods basically get into your bloodstream where they shouldn't be particles of these foods and your body sends an immune response because those things shouldn't be in the bloodstream. Your GI tract is meant to keep them in the GI tract. Like from your mouth to your anus, there is a mucus covered tunnel basically that is meant to stay in that tunnel. That's why the mucus is there. It should not be degraded. We see that a lot of times with people with GI map tests, like their mucus levels have degraded and they are dealing with a lot of other symptoms because of that. We're supposed to have barriers to our bloodstream, to our, you know, systems elsewhere. When leaky gut happens, you end up losing those barriers. And it's not just the bloodstream, guys. That gets systemic. That's why we deal with brain fog. That's why we deal with endometriosis. That's why we deal with all these things because these bacteria end up traveling to places they shouldn't be. UTI infections. UTIs. That's that comes oh, to mind. Candy, yes. And so we have this five-step response of the immune system. Step one is ingestion. Step two is recognition. Defense. Step four is chemical warfare. Step five is symptom manifestation. Look how symptoms are far down the line. That is why when you are having symptoms, you guys, I'm sorry, things have probably gotten farther than you think because your body actually that entire time is trying to get back to homeostasis. It's trying to get back to this place where there is a baseline of health. Your body's chronically adapting to do that. But when you don't acknowledge that, oh, I don't know, processed foods and vegetable oils are probably not great to consume in high amounts, you end up letting this get too far and then you end up with symptoms. And then you're like, I need to do something about it now. But now it's going to take a little bit longer 
It's going to take a little bit longer to write the ship. And so this is where gut issues begin to connect with symptoms and health issues beyond our typical digestive symptoms of gas and bloating and heartburn and indigestion and GERD and constipation, diarrhea. Like that is what people think digestive systems symptoms are. Yes, they are. But guess what? There's a lot of other things that are driven by poor digestion that are not those symptoms. Yeah. And I think too, you know, I'm thinking about one of the podcasts that we did earlier this year with Dr. Bryden, and we're talking about endometriosis. We're talking about these foods that people consume. And oftentimes they come in and they're like, man, I am so bloated. I, you know, have horrible uh, periods. Maybe I'm clotting or, you know, I have, you know, uh, cysts, you know, or polyps that have overgrown. I've had headaches. Like they have all of these symptoms and they just keep blaming this diagnosis of endometriosis. But we have to look at what is actually the root cause to a lot of those symptoms. And she talked a lot about dairy, right? Being one of them. She talked about gluten being one of them. And so I think it's really important that, you know, you recognize here that you can tie it all back to food and the gut and the state of the gut and the inflammation in the gut. Um, because yes, it, there are people that still struggle with intramitriosis or, you know, PCOS or these types of, uh, syndromes, but, they can manage their symptoms and reduce a lot of their symptom severity from food. And, and that's why we talked about on the other podcast doing um, the MRT and looking at this mediator release test. When chemical warfare is happening, what are these mediators doing in the body prior to your symptoms manifesting? So, you know, we can look at the gut again. Hippocrates said it himself, all diseases begin in the gut. So we're looking far beyond just your digestive systems. We're looking at headaches, joint pain, fatigue, skin issues, rosacea, eczema, psoriasis, UTI infections, as we mentioned, um, yeast infections, right? All of these other symptoms because of what's happening in the gut. And then we look at, you know, leaky gut also contributing to more and more food sensitivities. What you used to be able to tolerate now all of a sudden is becoming problematic, mm -hmm. right? Because the body is, again, going through that five-step um, process. And when it gets to number two, and it's not now, it's no longer recognizing this as a safe food or, you know, it's recognizing it as a foreign invader. It's igniting num step number three here in terms of defense. Um, and so this is where also we want to think about hormonal imbalances, right? Mood disorders, 95% of your neurotransmitters are, neurotransmitters are made in your gut. So a lot of people, yes, depression and anxiety is a very real thing, but a lot of people could do a lot of, do themselves a lot of good if they would look to their gut and recognize that there are many other things that are contributing to these feelings that they're having, right? So beyond just gut health, we have to look at what's impacting the gut outside of food um, in terms of antibiotics, birth control, right? Um, PPIs, all of these different medications that we take, NASADs, over-the-counter, Tylenol, all of these things impact the gut. And so while it might band-aid your symptom, whatever symptom that is, if you're taking you know, Tylenol because you have a headache or you're taking Tylenol because you have joint pain, like those could be stemming from the gut or it could be a hormonal imbalance that is you know, also stemming from the gut. So this is all interconnected. And so let's talk about the GI map a little bit because I think there's a lot of practitioners out there who are sharing about the GI map, and you've probably heard this, you know, if you followed us for a while, that we have incorporated this into our practice. We as a team of practitioners are learning even other things way beyond the GI map that definitely are beneficial. I think the Dutch test is awesome. I think that there's, you know, other tests out there in terms of genetic testing or hair mineral testing or mole testing or all of these other tests that are available. 
But the first thing that we do is we get eyes on your terrain, what's going on internally. And so we're going to talk about that today. And we're also going to talk about some of these things that we mentioned already, like H. pylori and candida, because I think people don't often understand exactly what these bacteria do. So we want to correlate this back to symptoms. And, you know, again, if you're somebody who's struggling with any of the symptoms that we've already mentioned, work with a practitioner, mm-hmm. get a GI map. You can go to your conventional doctor. You can ask them. Uh, they're not going to do it for you. Most of them don't even know what GI maps are. Unfortunately, eventually I hope that they do, because I think this is such a powerful test in terms of the technology that it uses. We already have caught so many things on GI maps for clients that have seen GI doctors and multiple mm-hmm. GI doctors and not found any answers. Yeah. And, and like we talked about with you, like I think of multiple clients that have infertility that come mm-hmm. to us with other things that you wouldn't even think relate to this stuff that there's so much that pops up. And when you start addressing things, they feel so much better and it can lead to, you know, situations that, you know, otherwise probably wouldn't have been addressed. Um, so the GI map is the gastrointestinal microbial SA plus. It is unique in the field of comprehensive stool testing. Um, so it is a poop test. It relies exclusively on quantitative polymerase chain reaction, which is PCR um, technology to detect parasites, bacteria, fungi, and more by targeting the specific DNA of the organisms tested. So this is important because unlike other comprehensive stool tests on the market, the GI map can provide practitioners with actual quantitative results versus like positives and negatives. Um, PCR offers a much more accurate way to detect and quantify these clinically relevant organisms than standard PCR culture or microscopy DNA sequencing. So accurately able to assess then how much of an organism's DNA is present in a patient's stool sample is essential for being able to basically determine the clinical significance of pathogenic organisms and dysbiosis patterns. So we're not just looking, is a candida strain present? We are looking, how high is it present? Is it present in very large amounts or is it just present? Because you guys, bacteria is not all bad. You need some bacteria. We are made of bacteria. If we eradicated all bacteria, we would not exist as human beings. So you do not want to just sterilize yourself. Like you don't want, that's what antibiotics do. They kind of sterilize the environment. They're a bomb. They're not a sniper. And so if you have these situations though, where something comes back as highly clinically present, that is considered what we look at as potentially an overgrowth situation. And then not only do we look at that, but we look at symptoms. We look at how is this person feeling? What other things are present? And that is the importance of the testing with the clinical correlation, not just the testing. We do not treat the test. We do not treat anyone in general. We are looking at what shows up as clinically significant, what symptoms the person is presenting with, what you know dysfunction otherwise might be going on, and we look at the body as a whole systemic being. And so I think don't get it twisted. Like we are not looking at this and just being like, you have a parasite, take a parasite, you know, parasite eradication agent. It's okay, you have these things present, but maybe you also have really low levels of good bacteria. And if we try to just go straight to eradicating these things, your immune system and your good bacteria is not going to be able to basically fight for you in that process. So we need to address that first. You have to look at, again, the person, not just the test results. But the cool thing about the GI map is that it really does quantify these things for you to realize how important are they to you know yeah. address. Well, and I think one of my favorite things about the GI map and just looking at, uh, you guys can look this up online, Google, whatever. Um, I think you can actually, I read somewhere the other day that you can get a test 
yourself. I've had mm-hmm. a client that just started that she had a GI map. She came in with it. Um, that's fine. But interpreting the test, it's going to be like you're reading Japanese. You get, you know, we go to school for these things, right? We get trained in these yes. things because it, it's how to look at the patterns and what does this mean and associate one of the things that we do with our clients is, hey, you've been dealing with acne and rosacea for years. Here's a couple of bacteria strands that are high and overgrown for you. This is what correlates you know, to those symptoms that you're experiencing. And so if we can get back into normal range and rebalance the microbiome, the goal is that these symptoms subside, right? They're no longer experiencing the acne or the rosacea or that it's definitely less frequent. I have a client right now. Um, I'm really excited to see where she lands in the end of her gut healing protocol because she's dealt with Raynaud's amongst many other things. Uh, Raynaud's is something that can be correlated to in research with H. pylori. Um, We're always looking for correlations here. You're never going to find the exact cause. Like, yeah, that bacteria, he's the main problem. There's trillions (laughs) of bacteria, you know, in the gut. So let's talk about this. I mean, I think, you know, on the GI map, if you guys look this up yourselves, but you're going to see there's a section for H. pylori. We see our good bacteria, our commensal bacteria. We see our phyla, which is kind of a general picture of about 90% of um, the bacteria in the microbiome. You're going to see opportunistic bacteria. So things that you know, we've talked about this before. These are kind of like the weeds in your garden. You want your garden to be full of flowers. You're going to have some weeds, but you don't want your weeds to be overgrown, right? Uh, And then we do see parasites. We don't always catch them, can still be present. Uh, You do see a worm section. And then my favorite part is the intestinal health. But um, in terms of the candida and the fungi section or the yeast and the fungi section, let's talk about this because I think a lot of people are like, well, how could I have, you know, high candida? Guys, I'll tell you, I had candida come back on mine. And I'm like, I've never had a UTI. I've never had, you know, any fungal nail infection, athlete's foots, things like this. Um, Candida is commensal. It is present in every person, but it needs to also be in check. Um, And when it's not in check, uh, then this is where, you know, we have a negative impact on the gut microbiome. So there are many things that can contribute to overgrowths uh, of candida. So it can be that candida you know, that it's a normal habitant uh, in the body and it's in the gut, but it started to overgrow because candida always wants to divide and multiply. Like it wants to overgrow. Like I think, you know, about this in the the way of, um, this is the analogy that I came up with earlier. So hopefully it makes sense to you guys. But candida's number one job is it wants to thrive, right? It wants to divide and it wants to conquer. And so therefore it wants to get out of the GI tract and it can do this absolutely. If the gut is permeable, we have leaky gut, there's inflammation allowing to to get out, but it can also get out because it likes to burrow. Um, And it has the ability uh, to burrow into the holes of the intestinal walls and muscle their way through causing damage to the tissue. So I think about this in terms of mice. I don't know. We were talking about mice at the gym this morning, so it's on my mind. Um, it's cold here, and you know, mice are definitely issues in some people's basements. But the mice can get through the tiniest holes, right? Like pinholes. Um, and so this is something that candida can also do. So it will burrow uh, holes into the intestinal walls and muscle their way through, causing damage to the tissue so that it can get out to survive and multiply. And, you know, when I look back and I think about what do, what do I think contributed to the candida showing up on my GI map? Guys, I was on birth control for 
years. Um, you know, I was on it all the way up until the time that we decided to go off of it and have Marcus. Uh, and then I went off of it about a year ago and in between, you know, that's another what three, Mm-hmm. two and a half, three years. So birth control absolutely is one thing that contribute to candida overgrowth, um, antibiotics, uh, being overweight, PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, or just antacids like acid reducers. We'll get to that in a second when we come to H. pylori, but you can go back and listen to our podcast on stomach acid. So what does this manifest as? First and foremost, it can be UTIs, as we mentioned. It can be athlete's foot, vaginal itching. It could be dermatitis on your scalp, anal itching, um, fungal infections in your mouth. So if you have a lot of like white on your tongue, um, it could also just result in like smelly pee uh, as well or burning pee. So it can, you know, cause many chronic issues such as fatigue, rashes, joint pain, constipation, and diarrhea, amongst many other things. And it really gets uh, serious if somebody is already immunocompromised. So yeast is hard to catch. Uh, We do often see, like we run, um, there's another test that we can run that's called doctor's data. um, And that is just a specific yeast culture. It can be hard to catch. But what I have found for individuals with chronic UTIs or uh, yeast infections that didn't catch it on the GI map. It was one or the other when we run both together. Um, It's on one or the other, but it's also resistant to a lot of antibiotics. And so that's what we're also, you know, looking at is what's the root cause? What's allowing this to overgrow? Now, last thing I'm going to say about this and Becca can dive into uh, H. pylori. Yeast loves fermented foods, sugar, and alcohol. So when we think about our, you know, standard American diet and we think about all of the people who have, and I'm not saying this is the cause and, you know, effect relationship, but it can be a correlation here. We think about a lot of people who have really severe or strong cravings for sugar. Candida knows how to make you feel bad. And it also knows how to make you feel good. And when we're talking about severe cravings, I mean, I've talked to individuals who say like, it's an out-of-body experience when I get that craving. I got to go get that sugar. Like I'm going crazy. So they literally know how to control some of your hormones related to uh, your hunger and satiety. And it does have a very strong interplay with H. pylori and they each can help each other overgrow. So they've kind of work hand in hand here to coexist. Um, we often see that people with H. pylori are more likely to have candida overgrowths. So H. pylori came back present for me. Um, and research tells us that the combination of both of these can increase the chance of stomach ulcers rather than just you know H. pylori by itself. And so Becca, I'll, I'll dive into this a little bit more, but anytime that we're going through a GI map with somebody, I mean, I'm not, I'm not symptomatic for H. pylori. But when I see on my test that H. pylori was present, that tells me that my stomach acid levels were less than robust, less than ideal. And that is one thing in addition to probably, um, you know, the uh, protein bars that I ate over the summer that were a little higher in sugar from first form doing 75 hearts. That's all I could have. And my history of, uh, again, I'm never going to know the exact cause, but also my history of being on birth control, that might have set the stage. You know, H. pylori being present less than adequate stomach acid to kill some of these things off that might have set the stage for it to overgrow. Even though I don't have any symptoms in terms of candida, if it's on a test, that is one thing that I said, you know what, because I do want to get pregnant and I do, you know, want to kind of give a clean sweep of my gut, I chose to go after it. So that's a long story about candida. (laughs) 
So the other one that we're going to talk about today is H. pylori. Um, H. pylori is very well known. It is not native to humans, but at this point, many people have it. Um, This particular bacteria colonizes in the stomach and the mouth, and it's not an issue with most people. Um, It takes up residence in the gut and become very problematic, though, over time and impact our peridial cells, um, which impact our stomach acid, and it can start to weaken the stomach lining. Um, So the numerous papers suggest the clinical utility of PCR testing for H. pylori as it has shown sensitivity and specificity similar to endoscopy um, and biopsy and urease testing, which up to now has been considered the gold standard for H. pylori. Um, I will say there are there are research papers that do indicate that the GI map does do a lot of false positives with H. pylori. So again, this is why we don't just treat the test. Like if someone shows up with H. pylori present, but they have no symptoms and there are other things that are more important to me as a practitioner, that is what I will address. We might not address the H. pylori then, if at all. Um, if someone shows up very high and they have you know, acid reflux or GERD or other co, I hate to say like comorbidities, but other things that are going on, that is when you would address it as a practitioner potentially, or you hope to accomplish the eradication or kind of like leveling down the levels of H. pylori because of another eradication protocol that you're doing. H. pylori, though, in general, you do want to address first because, again, it burrows into the stomach lining and it can affect stomach acid levels, which then in turn impacts the ability to eradicate other things. Because in general, when you have low stomach acid levels, you are not very strong of a host to kill off bacteria and parasites and other things. And so usually when it is present in high amounts and someone has some type of symptoms with it, it is almost always addressed. Um, So again, Again, everyone has some level of H. pylori bacteria in the stomach. It is rarely found elevated in normal gastric mucosa. Um, So while some sources suggest its role is that it is commensal, meaning like it can be beneficial or kind of coexist happily with the body. It um, it can provide protection when H. pylori proliferates and gets higher. It is predominantly associated with inflamed mucosa and gastritis. So the infection is more prevalent in children of infected mothers or family members. The role of H. pylori in GERD does remain controversial, um, yet there are newer studies that have showed that when levels are normalized, subjects' reflux symptoms tend to be kind of like eradicated and, and they die down to an extent. So um, the tough thing is it can make protocols kind of lengthy for people. Um, H. pylori is like a lot of these are kind of tough to get rid of. Um, they, you know, they don't want, they like your body as a host. They do not want to leave your body. And so it can be sometimes like cycling through different supplement protocols, using different supplements to see what seems to be the most effective, obviously going off of how the client feels. Um, and there is correlation between H. pylori ulcers and gastric cancer. That is one thing that, um, we do not take lightly. H. pylori is very prevalent when it comes to high levels, high virulence factors, which are another aspect of them, and the potential for that person to develop gastric cancer down the line. Yeah, but I think let's just not scare you guys here. You know, the research tells us that it's about 10% of people are going to have, you know, ulcers, roughly one to 2% that it's really going to turn into gastric cancer. So, you know, I think it's important because when you can catch these things early and like Becca said, we don't always go after it or we might go after just in a really gentle way while we work on bringing stomach acid levels up, you know, get the person into a better state uh, just overall in the microbiome so that we can prevent this from 
proliferating even further and becoming problematic, right? Again, I think there's um, research that tells us about 66% of people have it, uh, anywhere between 50 and 75. The different research studies tell you different things. I heard something the other day that says, you know, up to 80% of people now in the modern world that we live in have some level of H. pylori. Uh, and it can be, you know, commensal for some people, but the question becomes, are you symptomatic? Are you experiencing heartburn, acid reflux, GERD, right? There's a lot of studies out there, and, and we referenced this in the stomach acid um, series that we did. And you can also look at the uh, book, Why Stomach Acid is Good for You. They talk a lot about um, you know, the fact that if your stomach acid levels are low, you've got to fix that root cause because you can do everything with supplements for a period of time. But five years down the line, if the root cause isn't really addressed, you might be right back in the same spot or even worse off, right? And so this is just the one thing that, you know, we always want to educate our clients on. When we're going through the GI map, we're explaining what does each marker mean to them in terms of their symptoms. I'm not explaining to them what type of bacteria it is, gram negative, gram positive. That doesn't mean anything to them, right? They want to know what does this mean in terms of my symptoms, why I have joint pain, why I have reflux, why I'm not losing weight, all of those things. So a couple of uh, you know symptoms, as I already mentioned, uh, they're, they're kind of correlated here to gastritis uh, symptoms. Um, but outside of just having that GERD, reflux, heartburn, you can also experience bloating from H. pylori, frequent burping. Typically, that's a sign that it's you know that you have too much stomach acid because if H. pylori is present for long periods of time, it can lead to hypercladria rather than hypocladria, um, which is too much stomach acid. Uh, loss of appetite. I will also add here because your body is so smart, it knows that it needs adequate levels of stomach acid to break down and demulsify protein and turn it into amino acids. We often see clients have more of aversions or just don't really want to eat a lot of protein, feel very full from protein because either H. pylori is present or they just don't have you know a good amount of stomach acid. Uh, nausea is another common one. Stomach pain, also worse when your stomach is empty for some individuals or an ache or burning pain, just kind of like in your abdomen. So those are some things. Risk factors. Here's the thing, guys. You can pick this stuff anywhere. Um, there's fecal uh, transmission. Basically, uh, in all of the research that I've read, and Becca, you can weigh in on this too, most of the time it's interfamily um, interfection and it is oral to oral. So you share your fork with your kid. Um, kids are more susceptible to have H. pylori. It's, you know, they're little bodies. They're designed to fight these things. God knows how he created us, right? It's just that when things get really um, out of line, they become problematic. So again, most people could have this. It could be present. They could be asymptomatic. It's not going to be um, you know, an issue for them ever. Uh, but it can also be if you are drinking tap water and you don't have good sources of good, clean water, you can you know, pick up these bugs. And, and this is just far beyond uh H. What you should be well. worrying about too. Like you can, you can worry yourself sick. And that's the tough part about all of this. We want to give you guys the education. We want you to understand what these things are, how they sometimes present um, and why we, why we talk about them and address them with our clients. Um, with that being said, you cannot avoid all bacteria. You shouldn't avoid all bacteria. Yeah. The goal with any type of protocol that we are doing with a client is to make you a stronger host. Like we are working to make an ecosystem of the microbiome that makes you resilient to these things. It is not to go in with a bomb and kill off all the bad bacteria that you show up with a GI map. It is like, how can we change the ecosystem and the lifestyle that you have lived up until this point that has developed the environment that allows for these things? That is the bottom line as any practitioner should be doing like 
we are working to shift the body and its ecosystem to make you stronger, healthier, more resilient as a human being. That is always the goal of all of this. And strengthen your immune system, mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is the biggest takeaway that we want you guys to understand today. So if you have like this trifecta of standard American diet, you're sedentary, or <laughs> you're very, very active and you're not managing your stress and you're not eating enough, this is what leaves you susceptible to these things, right? Because of the state of inflammation in the body and the pressure on the immune system, if you will. Uh, and so I think it's just really important that, you know, you guys understand beyond the test, and we're going to talk about this in another episode coming soon, but beyond the test and what we see here, we look at a couple of other things. One, your lab work, if you have that, because that tells us a story that tells us trends. Two, we use our um, nutritional assessment questionnaire, which gives us 320 uh, symptoms that we're looking at. And we're correlating these two different organ functions of the body so that we can look at where is the body the most burdened. And then the test comes in and that gives us a very clear path. And then we can, you know, put together a healing protocol, which is awesome. But at the end of the day, we can have all of these test, we can have the labs, we can have the, you know, questionnaires and the quizzes that people fill out. You still need to do your part, right? You still have to change diet. You still have to manage your stress. You still have to focus on how you eat, right? Balancing your blood sugar. Like there is a lot of work that goes into these things and your body does have the ability to heal. But if you got a GI map and you don't have anybody to interpret it for you, right? It's probably not going to do you any good. On the flip side of this, let's say you hired a practitioner and you did all the things and you got your healing protocol and then you're not changing your diet and you're not sleeping and you're not managing stress and you're not opening up your you know lymph system to make sure that detoxification is, is working as best as it can in a healing protocol, you're probably not going to see the best results. So it does take work, um, you know, and I think it's, I'm very thankful that we have the ability to do these things and we can get these quantitative uh, markers and we can help clients that you know, are very um, burdened in terms of, you know, their symptoms and how they're feeling, but just know that you got to do your part in any kind of healing protocol. So hopefully that gives you guys um, a good understanding of, you know, how maybe somebody who is really like healthy could end up, you know, with a little bit of digestive dysfunction. And the last thing that I'll say here is that, you know, a lot of times uh, we do get asked about SIBO. SIBO is kind of a, a side effect of some other things uh, because it's kind of the overgrowths of potentially normal bacteria or pathogenic bacteria or both. But this happens as a result of this intestinal permeability. It can happen as a result of you know different bacteria that are overgrown and producing gas um, and leads to you know bloating. But a lot of times it's north, it's upstream that you know impacts how uh, the small intestine is doing, and um, you know, that's why we use this above anything else. Um, and then I would just say, you know, if you are somebody who says like, oh, I have some bloating, it's not that bad, but it's getting worse or I have alternating motility here. Take those as signs. Um, I think there's definitely some normalcy throughout the month, but I wouldn't let that go on for too long without maybe getting to the root cause of it because we definitely don't want it to turn into a case of SIBO. Mm -hmm. So Cool. All right, guys, with that, we are going to wrap it up today and we will be back on Wednesday. Thank you for listening to The Food Code. If this episode resonated with you, please share, rate, and review as this helps us reach others around the world. With that, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Love you guys.